Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Faith Baptist. Welcome to our dining room. We waited like 11 months to be able to invite people into our own home and host in our own dining room. So here you are. I'm so thankful. Uh, From my family to yours, I hope you've had a great summer, family time. I hope you're gearing up for the fall season. And I hope you're taking some time just to remember that you are a son, you are a daughter of the King. That you would just pause, take a breath, Be still and know that He is God. Whatever this fall season brings, He is still God. He's still in control. He still has a plan. And you're still His child. Um, I'm so glad that our band, that our tech team, have the opportunity to participate in the service just like you this weekend. Uh, We've given them the weekend off. If you've never done any video streaming, video editing, tech stuff, camera stuff, then you do not understand how much work that tech team and those bands have put in to bring you all of these live services. I am so thankful. And I know I say this all the time, but I don't think you can say it too much. Would you just write thank you in the comments? Today's special because this tech team and band is at home participating in this service just like you are today. They're gonna see those comments. So would you tell them thank you so much? for their work, their dedication, their hours, the sweat that's gone off their head when they're trying to figure out last minute how to get the internet connected. Just say thank you. You know, I've really missed participating in our church service with my family. I mean, my faith family, my church family, yes, for sure. But my own family, my wife, my kids, they're not at the church facility when we're there uh, recording, doing the live stream. And I've missed that, singing with them, holding my children as we're worshiping together. So I am so grateful to get that opportunity this weekend as we're pre-recording the service. Uh, Next week is our outdoor celebration service. I hope you're registered. If you're not registered, I will find you. (laughs) Pre-register, pre-register, pre-register. If you don't know how to do that, go to our app. If you don't know how to do that, go to our website, sharethejourney.ca. If you can't do that, give us a call. Come see us. We would love to sign you up. We would love to see you. It's next Sunday. Make sure you sign up. All right, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be talking about a very familiar story today. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard the sower and the seed, the parable of the seed, the soils, the sower. That's what we're going to talk about. What does the seed tell us about God's heart? And what does the soil tell us about our heart? And then I'm going to end today by talking just a little bit about evangelism. I told you I would talk about some misconceptions and myths when it comes to evangelism. I'm just going to have time to look at one today because this passage is so incredible and I want to make sure that we spend time in it. So before we dig into that, if you're turning to Matthew chapter 13 in your copy of the Bible, would you just join me for prayer? If you're in a living room, coffee shop, campground, if you're listening to this, on our podcast as you're driving in the car, make sure you keep your eyes open. But would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. 
God, I just pray today that you would guide our hearts in your word. God, help us to see you. Help us to see your heart for the world, for us. God, help us to see ourselves. Help us to truly evaluate our hearts. And then God, help us to also see the world around us. God, I pray that you would plant this seed today deeply in our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. Great crowds were gathered about him so that he got into the boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And then he told them many things in parables. Now it's the long weekend. Uh, maybe you're getting in a little family getaway before school starts next week. Maybe you're camping. Uh, maybe right now you're watching with your family at the beach. That would be awesome. You know, here in Nova Scotia, we are well acquainted with small fishing communities, right? They're all along the bay. I was talking to someone just the other day and saying that I'm pretty sure in every community along the Cobbequid Bay, there is a wharf road. Have you noticed that? Little Dyke, there's a wharf road. Great Village, there's a wharf road. Bass River, there's a wharf road. We have a lot of wharfs, a lot of boats, a lot of fishing industry in our rich history here in Colchester County. But I don't want to jump so fast into this parable that we miss the context because the context is beautiful. I mean, just think about it. Here's Jesus. He's on the beach. He's wearing his sandals. Maybe he's got sand between his toes. The cool breeze of the water gently lapping against the sides of the boat. You have the noise of the palm trees swaying, fishermen working, children splashing, laughter, people. Jesus picks up his sandals and he wades into the water. He climbs into one of the boats anchored off the shore a ways, and his voice carries across the water, and he tells them the first of many parables. Now, a parable is a familiar story of life here on earth to illustrate principles of heaven. We're talking about the physical reality to illustrate the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God. I love how Joyce Meyer puts it, so simple. She says, it's a story with a point. <laughs> Why say any more than that? And this parable has some weight to it. Not only is it the first parable that we come across in Jesus' teaching, Jesus also says after the parable, I believe it's in Mark chapter 4, he says to his disciples, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of the other parables? This parable is formative and foundational in understanding the other parables. So we're going to dig into the parable here in verse 3. Read verse 3 with me. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came, devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. They produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You know, as Jesus is telling this story, 
which he's going to come back around to and explain, so we're going to talk about it more in a moment. But I think about the people who would be there. Fishermen, farmers. Jesus uses a culturally relative example and illustration to teach them about the kingdom of God. I think there's a principle right there for evangelism. In our current context, in our culture, what are some key themes that we can use to illustrate the kingdom of God? Jesus does this very thing. But I'm thinking about the people as they're listening. Jesus starts talking about farming and a sower casting out seed. And you know, I think a lot of those people, probably half the crowd thought to themselves, farming? Really? Like Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but most of the people here are farmers. At the very least, they have vegetable gardens, big vegetable gardens. Has farming really changed in the last 4,000 years? I mean, since Adam and Eve were in the garden, their son Abel was a farmer. Has anything changed? Like, are you going to tell us anything that we don't already know? Aren't you a carpenter? Like, what is a carpenter going to tell us about farming that we don't already know? They were listening to Jesus' words. They were letting them brush off because they thought they already knew. They thought they already understood. That happens as we read the Bible, doesn't it? And we listen to talks today and we just let it pass over. I mean, Josh, you're young, <laughs> you're inexperienced, you don't have a whole lot of education. What are you going to tell me that I don't already know? Not much. <laughs> Except for the Word of God. The Word of God. You know, the only command in this parable is at the very end. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I think this is the crux of the whole scripture that we're talking about today. This entire parable, this story, this is the most important part. He who has ears, let him hear. As soon as Jesus started his story about farming, I'm sure half the crowd just stopped listening. Right. Farming. Are you serious? I was just farming this morning. I know what's going on. I don't want to listen to you talk about farming anymore. What did the people think of Jesus when he started telling this story? And that ties back to our last sermon series. When Jesus cast out the legion of demons, people asked him to get out of here. When Jesus walked on the water, the disciples were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. They didn't know what to do. When Jesus fed 5,000, the people asked him to stay. When Jesus was transfigured, the people was asking him to stay. Jesus is polarizing the crowd, separating the crowd. Some people think he's crazy. Some people think he's possessed by the devil himself. And some people think maybe he is who he says he is. But they're all seeing and hearing the same thing. They're just receiving it and translating it, accepting it in different ways. Just like the parable that Jesus is teaching here today. The soil receiving the seed, but having different results. He who has ears, let him hear. Hearing and listening. You know, you can hear without listening. <laughs> You've heard the term, it fell on deaf ears, right? Have you ever talked to somebody and you just know there's a glazed look? They're, they're hearing the sound, but they're not understanding anything you're saying. Maybe there are times when your spouse is like that. <laughs> I know I can be like that. But Jesus is saying, don't just hear the sound. Don't just let the acoustics of your ear, let the sound waves bounce around, but receive it. Understand it. 
follow it, apply it, listen to my teaching and obey it. That's how we need to receive his words. How many hours have we spent listening to the Bible being taught, listening to the Bible being sung, listening to elders talking about God, listening to brothers and sisters challenging us on the word? We heard it, but we refuse to listen to it. I mean, this is foundational to our understanding of parables. You know, I'm sure the crowd is hearing Jesus' story about the sower and the farmer casting the seed, and they're, they're struggling to reconcile the story. I mean, why cast the seed into the path? Why cast the seed into the stony ground? Why, why throw the seed into the thorns and the thickets and the brambles? I mean, that's a waste of seed. Why would you do that? You have to take care of the seed by cultivating the ground, right? You have to prepare the ground. You have to remove the weeds, remove the thorns, remove the stones. My wife grew up on a dairy farm, a bunch of cousins around. Every summer, there were fields to be rock picked, right? To get them ready to prepare them for the upcoming season. So all the cousins would be out there with their buckets, with their crowbars, pulling out these big rocks, following the tractor, throwing them in the trail, preparing the soil for the seed. For the coming seed. I mean, what about the birds? Think about the birds. Scarecrows have been around since ancient Egypt. Probably before that, but historical records show us in ancient Egypt, they used scarecrows to scare the birds away. It just makes sense. In fact, if you read Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 5, it talks about a scarecrow. Scarecrows are an Old Testament idea. They're not a new idea, okay? And the people probably from the beach where they're listening to Jesus, they probably have eyesight on one or two scarecrows around at people's homes. They're thinking, Jesus, before you cast the seed, why wouldn't you just make a simple scarecrow? I mean, it's not a new idea. Scare the birds away and then cast the seed so they don't eat it. Like your story's not making a whole lot of sense, Jesus. I don't think you know a whole lot about agriculture. And then think about the seed. Seed is expensive. Seed is costly. Seed is valuable. Like, you don't just take seed from your barn, from your storehouse, and just throw it anywhere. It's precious. If your seed doesn't take root, if your crop doesn't grow that summer, if you don't have a good harvest in the fall, that's your income in an agrarian culture. That's what families lived on. And Jesus is telling a story where the farmer just seems to throw it willy-nilly wherever he wishes. And a lot of the seed is wasted, seemingly wasted. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't trying to teach them about gardening. Jesus wasn't trying to teach them techniques that they could use, that they could go home, they could start working on their garden and make sure that uh, all the seed is cast all over the path. He's not telling them gardening and agricultural techniques. Jesus is teaching them principles of the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching them about the very heart of God. What's the kingdom of God like? He uses this picture to explain the generous, abundant, overflowing heart of God. He's the farmer in this story. God is the sower of the seed. He's the one casting the seed. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't check the soil. He doesn't check 
the water levels. He doesn't check the weather. He doesn't check what season it is. He doesn't examine all of these little details before he's ready to toss the seed. He just casts the seed out everywhere. He just throws it anywhere where he goes to everyone in every place. It doesn't, he doesn't pick and choose. He doesn't give lesser amounts and greater amounts. He doesn't decide whether the soil is deserving or less deserving. He's casting these seeds everywhere generously to all without favor. That's the heart of God the Father for humanity. Here's what that parable shows us about God's heart. He gives generously, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think, without discrimination to everyone, not based on merit, not based on works, but his gift overflows to all people, everywhere, at all times. That's God's heart for humanity, and that's what this parable teaches us about who God is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His vats are overflowing. He is more than enough. He has abundance. He is the source. He is the supply, and he gives liberally to all. But what's the seed? What is the seed? What is the sower casting out? What is God casting out in this parable? I have a lot of questions about this parable as I study it out, and the disciples have the same questions. They're in the same boat. They come to Jesus, and here's what they say. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came. It's later on. It's in private, after the crowds have gone. And the disciples said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Think about this. Why now, Jesus? Why start talking to them in these picture riddles? that most of these people don't understand. I mean, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, when you were teaching that, you taught it so straightforward. I mean, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. I mean, that. how can you get more straightforward than that? You wanna know how to pray? Pray like this, fast like this. Don't judge others. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I mean, how can you get more straightforward than that? And now you're teaching people in word pictures that they have to figure out? I mean, do you expect these people to write down what you're saying, to study it out, to think it through, to ask people to discuss, to dig into it until they finally understand what you're saying? Look at verse 11. See what Jesus says. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now Jesus is saying he speaks in parables because for the ones who really want to understand, the ones who have an ear to hear, for the ones who really want to obey, the ones who really want to dig into this parable, they are the ones who will understand it, who will understand what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven. But for the ones who don't have ears to hear, for the ones who don't really care, for the ones who don't bring their Bible or their notepad or don't really pay attention or are kind of thinking about other things, or thinking about lunch, thinking about sports, thinking about basketball, they're not going to understand this parable. 
because they don't have a desire to dig into it, to be obedient to it, to apply it to their lives. They're not as dedicated. These parables are for the ones who really want to know, the ones who really have a desire. Then look at what Jesus says, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And turn, and I would heal them. That was Isaiah chapter 6. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you probably remember Isaiah chapter 6. God is saying, who will go for us and who will I send? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me, choose me. So God says, Isaiah, you're going to go for me. Here's the message you're going to carry. Seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they don't hear. They ain't going to understand until their lands are desolate, their cities are laid in waste, and there's nothing but the stump of a tree left. And that stump is the seed. It's the offspring. You know what I would want to say at that point? Then why bother? Why would I go to preach to a people who isn't going to hear me, not going to understand, not going to change, and God, you already know what's going to happen. Why am I doing this? Do you know this is a lesson that I've had to learn in this season? I'm guessing that you're learning a similar lesson. One of my passions is preaching, for sure. One of my big passions. I love to dig into the Word of God. I love to unearth the truth of who God is, His heart for humanity, Jesus and what He's done for us, how we need to serve others, how we live and relate in our life here and now, building our foundation on the Word of God. And then to declare that truth to today's generation as energetically and compelling as I can, because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. It's complete. It's relevant. It's truth. Absolute truth. There's no greater message on the earth for us to share. But if there's nobody listening, let's say maybe you're sitting in your kitchen by yourself talking to a camera like a weirdo. <laughs> if a neighbor walked in, they would think this was super weird. Is there any point in doing it if nobody's listening? Is there any point in singing a song of worship if nobody hears it or nobody sings along? Is there any point in serving God if nobody knows about it and it doesn't benefit anybody that you know of? Is there any reason in doing it if nobody sees it? Why would Jesus teach in parables if most of the people aren't going to understand what he's trying to say with his word pictures about the sower and the seed? Why would Isaiah go preach to those people if nobody's going to listen? You know what I think Isaiah would say? And I know Jesus said this. I'm doing it because God called me to. Jesus said, I am here to do the will of the Father, the will of him who sent me. Which is why I'm going to preach in a kitchen by myself because God is here. And when God calls you to sing, you need to sing. Whether there's music, 
anybody to sing with you or anybody to hear. And when God calls you to serve, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's like you're building an ark in a desert where there hasn't been rain for years and years, you need to do it whether you see the results or not because serving God faithfully and doing what he's called you to do is the result. It is the success. It is the fruit. Whether people hear this message, whether the camera glitches or the MP4 is deleted and you never see this, it will have been worthwhile because God called me to preach and I'm going to preach in an empty room. How many people today, God's calling you to do something and you're refusing because there isn't an audience. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to hear. Nobody's going to sing along. Nobody's going to listen. Is it really going to change anything? But if God's asking you to do it, then doing what God has asked you to do is the result, is the fruit, is the success. Verse 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Do you realize how blessed we are to live on this side of the cross? I mean, I've so often thought I would love to have seen the fiery chariot that Elijah rode on back to heaven. I would love to see the Red Sea parted. I would, it would be so wild to see Noah's Ark. Like, can you imagine? But Jesus is saying, these guys long to see what you see here today. They long to see me, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, His meekness, His majesty. How blessed we are to be on this side of the cross seeing the fulfillment of the gospel and awaiting the fulfillment of heaven to come. I mean, it's incredible. And then he begins to explain this parable of the sower and the seed. So we've come full circle. We've heard the parable. We've talked about parables in and of themselves. Now we're going to talk specifically about this parable. What does Jesus have to say about this parable? Here's where we get into some really heavy application. So I hope you're ready. Let's look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God. If you look at John 1.1, the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Not anything was made that was made except through him. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. The whole of the Bible is summed up in Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. So the picture is God casting out the message of Jesus, the gospel message to the world, to all who would receive. God has sent out that invitation. But now Jesus is talking about the path, the hard trampled path, that cynical tough heart that's had some hard times in life and been hardened, tough skin. I mean, the heart that's been stepped on, the heart that's been walked over, the heart that's been left in the dust. And that seed, when it's cast on the path, the birds come and steal it away. The devil steals it away. It blows away. It's gone before it ever has chance to take root. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's your heart this morning as you're listening. You know what, maybe you've been hurt by the church, by a parent, by a loved one, by somebody who should have loved you but instead treated you poorly. Can I just say, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for how you've been treated. I'm sorry for the pain and the hurt of your past. I can't begin to understand what you have gone through. I don't know your pain, but God does. Could you just open your heart today and consider for a moment that God's love will meet you right where you're at right now? And that Jesus died to take your hurt, to take your pain, to give you forgiveness for all the shame and guilt and embarrassment of your past and to bring you into new and abundant life, into a new home, into a family that loves you? Would you pray that God would soften your hard heart? Because look, you can be bitter or you can get better, but you can't do both. You can hold on to the past or you can let go and you can embrace Jesus, but you cannot do both. Now let's look at verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the first image that comes to my mind is like a rocky beach. Just rocks and rocks. Everywhere you see is rocks. Nowhere to plant a seed. But this isn't the geographical context of where Jesus would be teaching on the boat at the beach in ancient Palestine. Instead, more than likely, rocky soil meant shallow soil on top of bedrock. A thin layer of soil on top of the rock and the clay. Now, you've driven to Halifax down the highway. You can see where they cut that highway right out of the stone. And on either side of the highway on the banks, you can see the stone outcropping that goes up. And then there's just a thin layer of soil and plants clinging to the top of that rock. It's like the roots of that tree stretch out and are exposed and are just holding onto that rock for dear life. You know, I planted a bunch of grass around the property when we moved in this summer. And I put in a lot of topsoil. And wherever the topsoil is thick, the grass took good root. And it came up lush and green, and it stayed that way. It holds the moisture. But wherever the topsoil was really thin, like around the edges, around the driveway, the grass came up really good initially, but as the heat and the sun of this dry summer we've been having, as it came out, it just scorched that grass away. And it looks hilarious because you have all this healthy grass, and then around the fringes, you have all this yellow, wilted dying grass. I don't know if it'll come back next season or not, but is that what you feel like? Do you feel like you have a shallow root system? And when troubles come, when, when difficulties arrive, when the shadows of the valley, the sweat of the climb, the isolation of the pandemic, when it comes along, you feel like you're wilting, you feel like you're dying, you're feeling like the moisture has just left and your bones are drying up and you're not going to make it through the difficult time because your roots are so shallow. You're clinging to an emotional experience. You're clinging to the relationships of people around you and not necessarily your relationship with God. Maybe you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. How's your faith? How's your faith? You, you think about the story that Jesus told the fool who built his house in the sand, the wise man who built his house on the rock. And that fool, he's got his house in the sand. When the wind and the rain and the floodwaters came, he left. He bailed. He was out of there. He gave up, threw in the towel. But the wise man, it says, he dug down deep. And he built his foundation on the bedrock, deep roots. 
and that storm came and went, and he stood firm. I think of Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3 talks about the tree planted by rivers of living water. I think about Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good to come. He shall dwell in a parched place of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots deep by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What about you? Do you have deep roots in the God who will never leave you or forsake you? Or are you trusting in people to get you through? And in time of isolation, separation, social distancing, as you're separated from the people that you're trusting and relying on, my guess is the pandemic has made it abundantly clear how deep your roots are. I mean, what other foundation are you going to rely on in a time of storm like this? Are you going to rely on what the news is telling you? Are you going to rely on the medical statistics that are coming out? Are you going to rely on the propaganda and all of the conspiracy theories that are out there in conversations and coffee shops? It blows my mind how many people get totally bent out of shape and rebel against something so simple as wearing a mask to protect the people around you from the germs within you. If you're rooted and grounded in the gospel and you have a framework of what Jesus has done for you, Jesus carried that rugged cross up the hill to his death. He was nailed, he was stabbed, he was gouged with thorns until he suffocated and died with two criminals on either side for the sins of the whole world. I think I can wear a simple mask to protect the people around me. If Jesus is willing to die for me, I can lay down my right to show my mustache in public and wear a silly mask. How are your roots? Are you deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God? Or when something new comes along, it totally grabs your focus away from who he is and what our mission is here. Having a heart for people like God's heart is for people. And then we come to verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Thorns. You know what's hilarious about thorns? I hate thorns, but I love what's connected to them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just got to stop and smell the roses, don't you? I mean, raspberries, come on. Um, back in our yard here, at the start of summer, there were all kinds of brambles and thickets and all of these thorns. So I pulled out my push mower and I started mowing them all down. And my wife comes out and says, what are you doing? Those are raspberries, those are blackberries. And so I stopped and thank goodness because there are so many blackberries out there now and they're so sweet to the taste. We go out with the kids, we pick them, we have them with our yogurt, it's incredible. But there are all kinds of thorns back there. You know what's interesting about thorns? We've all experienced thorns. You'll be hiking through the woods, hiking through a field, and you get caught in the thorns. It literally catches your clothing. It pulls you in. It, like, and if you try and force your way through it, it tears at you. Isn't that such a picture of sin and temptation? I mean, the flower, the fruit, it draws you in, and then those thorns, they catch you. 
And when I'm stuck in the thorns, I like to do what men do and just power through, right? Right, men? We just dig right through, and that makes those thorns dig in harder, tears clothes, tears skin. It's not a good feeling. Maybe you're stuck in some thorns today. Maybe you've chased a flower, maybe you've chased some fruit that looked good, you know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, and then you found out there were thorns that really got a hold of you, and now you're stuck. You can't power through it. You can't try harder to get through it. You have to stop and back out of the thorns, back out of the brambles. Don't dig deeper into it. Stop, confess your sin, and repent. That means turn 180 degrees and go back in the other direction, back towards God as you wandered away from him. Don't get stuck in the thorns. And then we come to verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Do you want to receive God's word today? Do you want to be able to understand it, be able to apply it, to grow? You know, I've heard the comment over the years from many people, especially people coming from other churches to our church for the first time. The comment is, you know, I'm, I'm just not getting fed at my church. You know, the sermon, it's only 20 minutes long. It's not really enough to feed me. The music, it, it doesn't really relate with me. It's not my style. The people, they're not really my age group. You know, it's just not a good fit. I'm just not getting anything out of it. You know what I would say? Instead of checking into another church, maybe you should check the condition of your heart. Check the condition of your heart. It's not about the content of the seed. It's the Word of God. It's living and powerful, whether it's in a 20-minute sermon slot or a one-hour sermon slot. It's the Word of God. Instead of checking the content of the seed, check the condition of the soil in your heart. Maybe you need to invite God to come in. Remove those stones, remove those thorns, shoo the birds away and prepare the soil so it's ready for that seed that he wants to give you. You know what? If your soil in your heart is prepared, there are a lot of places you could go and hear a good seed from the word of God. But instead, we allow the soil of our heart to get so left untended. You know, the Bible says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. And we got to take care of the condition of the soil in our heart. Now, one final thought about evangelism, and then I'm done, okay? I told you I was going to talk about some misconceptions of evangelism, but this passage is just so good, I'm getting caught up in it. I have time for one final thought on evangelism. Planting the seed of the gospel. If you have received the seed of the gospel and you have allowed God to cultivate the soil in your heart to receive that seed and now you are a new and living creation, all the past is forgiven, it's washed away, you are justified, white as snow, and now you have a new life, a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood and what he accomplished on the cross for you. You have a home in heaven, citizenship of heaven. You are a child of the King. Now you are on mission for the king. You are a hired hand for the farmer, the great farmer who cast out the seed. When it comes to evangelism, I've often thought, let's make sure we do it right, okay? 
let's make sure we prepare that soil. Let's make sure we remove all the stones from someone's life. Let's make sure we remove all the thicket, all the brambles. Let's make sure all the thorns are out of someone's life. And if that person has relationships of people who are like crows who chase in and totally distract them from the Word of God, let's sever those relationships so there's no more crows, the devil's not getting in there, they're not distracted. Let's just clean the slate, wipe the plot, make sure the soil is all ready, and then we will take that precious seed that we've been protecting, that we've been preserving, that we've been holding for the perfect moment. And then we're going to find the perfect spot and ever so gently making sure it's the right hour of the day and the right soil conditions and the right water, the right sunshine. We're going to take that perfect little seed and we're going to plant it. And then we're going to wait for a harvest from that one seed. And if that seed doesn't produce anything, well, then we're a failure and we're not going to try evangelism again. But when we look at this parable, God the Father is casting out seed to every place, to everywhere, whether the soil is right, whether it's full of rocks, whether there are birds, whether there are brambles and thickets and thorns. He's just casting out that seed. So what if we thought about evangelism less about the perfect message to the perfectly prepared person at the perfect moment in time. We thought about evangelism less like that and more like just sending out the seed in all places, at all times, to all people. Maybe it's like a simple conversation about the weather and you make sure to say, man, I'm so thankful God gave us such a beautiful day. Maybe you're at the grocery store and the cashier says, would you like to donate $2 to the IWK Foundation? And you say, no. I'd like to donate $4 because God loves those kids. Or maybe you are in the drive-thru and you say, hey, can I pay for the car behind me because I just want them to know that God cares about them today. Or maybe you're walking up to the girl at the front of the store whose job it is to tell everybody to wear a mask and use hand sanitizer. And she's heard everything, frustrated customers, people boycotting, people refusing to wear their mask and rebelling, people using language and even raising their voice with her. And then you walk up with your silly little mask on and you say, I'm so sorry for how you're being treated. I'm sorry that people can't just put on a simple mask and walk into the store and follow the rules. I'm sorry that you have to face that day after day and you take a moment to listen to that girl, her frustration, her anxiety, her fear. And she spends the rest of her shift wondering what's so different about that person. Here's what I wanna do in closing. I'm gonna put three questions on the screen. And I just want you to take a moment and think about these three questions. If you're by yourself, pray about them. If you're with some other people, discuss them. Okay, if you're sitting in the room right now hearing this, don't just shut the laptop screen, don't turn off the cell phone, don't turn off the TV. Take a moment and talk about these three questions that I'm going to put on screen. Have you received the seed? How's the soil condition in your heart? And where have you planted seed? Would you just press pause? and consider these questions as we close this morning.